0: So I, well, first, my name is Marty. It's good to see you all here this morning. Uh, I goofed a little bit this morning in that I did not arrive and remember to do a mic check. And for some reason, the mic always doesn't like my voice. So bear with me for one moment. In the meantime, I'll let you know that this mustache that I have I've named the Mitch Friedman Memorial Mustache. (laughs) For my good buddy, who, we're very sad, uh, will be leaving today. Although we celebrate that, too. We hope that you will join us this afternoon uh, to celebrate uh, Mitchell Friedman, Abby, and um, their whole family heading off to Park River. Now, if you would... Please join with me in prayer. Holy God, you are an awesome God. Lord, is that song uh, just saying, Lord, we need you. Lord, we need you every day. The days we realize it and the days we don't. Lord, we always need you. Lord, I need you now, and I pray that you would speak your words through this message, and I pray that they would fall upon ears uh, to hear them. In Jesus' holy name, amen. A couple weeks back, while I was preparing this message, I checked the news while I was sitting here at the church, which I do regularly, and I almost wanted to cry. Now, the news is... Regularly depressing, so that is nothing new. But recently, it feels so dark. Violence, war, murder, natural disasters, rising costs, the celebra- celebration of sin, disease. It can be hard to read it can be hard not to let it get to you and this is only the darkness that we read on the news but we each face darkness in trials in our personal lives as well the consequences of sin surround us maybe it's sickness for you maybe it's conflict with a family member maybe it's financial strain Maybe it's loneliness. Whether you are feeling it today or not, you probably have felt this way, and you almost certainly will feel this way someday. Because life can be very hard. The consequences of sin are real, and they can be very heavy. Today's scripture for us this morning is from Psalm 28. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Psalm 28. And my big idea for us today is this. Cry out to God who answers you. Cry out to God who answers you. So let's read our passage. Psalm 28 of David. To you, O Lord, I call. My rock, be not deaf to me. Lest, if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work, and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward, because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of his hands. He will tear them down and build them up no more. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts, and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. All right. As I said, my big point for us today is cry out to God who answers you. And I have three points for us today. Point number one, cry out to God in your desperation. Point number two, cry out to God for justice. And three, cry out to God in thanksgiving. So let's start with point number one cry out to God in your desperation which comes from verses 1 and 2 and right away these verses set a mood for the passage and it's not a happy one david is earnestly crying out to god for his life and you can almost hear the desperation in his voice be not be not deaf to me if you are silent i shall become like those who go down to the pit Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. These are the words of a man in intense need. These are the words of a man who doesn't have a plan B. We see that David desperately needed God to come through. Because when David speaks of going down to the pit, he is likely talking about literal death. Remember, for a lot of David's life, he was a soldier, or he was an outlaw, a fugitive. A lot of people, oh, a lot of people wanted to kill him. He faced the likelihood of death far more often than we do. But also, look here at Psalm 38 18. For Sheol does not thank you, death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit, do not hope for your faithfulness. In Psalm 30, verse 3, O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. So it's very possible that David, in this passage, was afraid for his very life. David was out of options. If God didn't intervene, he was a goner. So he begs the Lord to answer him. Have you ever had the audacity to pray to God like this? Have you ever gone before the Lord and said, God, don't ignore me. Listen to me. I need you right now or else I'm not going to make it. Have you ever been that desperate? Now likely, you have not experienced a time where if God didn't intervene, then you would be dead. Although for some people in this room, that might be a reality. But like I said in my introduction, we have all kinds of reasons to pray desperately to the Lord. This world is a broken place. Evil is commonplace, both in the news, around the world, and in our personal lives. In our circles, life is hard. Incredibly difficult things can happen. Sometimes God has us in, and I will even say puts us in, desperately hard places, for God is not afraid to put us through the fire. God's love for us doesn't mean he will not put us through extremely Difficult situations. We see this throughout the Bible. Joseph was sold into slavery and then falsely condemned to prison. Elijah fled for his life into the wilderness when the queen wanted him dead. Daniel was thrown into a den of lions. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into a fiery furnace. Abraham And Sarah had to wait till he was, nine. I think Abraham was 100 years old before he had a baby. Paul was beaten and imprisoned and constantly running from those who sought his life. See, trouble is not unusual for God's people. Dire situations are not unusual for God's people. Although God could easily keep us from all sorts of pain, sometimes he doesn't. Now you might be asking, why? That's a very common question when it comes to God. Why? Why does God do this? Why does God cause us, his people, his children, to go through such pain and danger? Well, this is a large question, certainly more than we can adequately talk about this morning. But there are a couple of passages in Scripture which I do want to go to, which give a couple clear reasons for us. The first is 1 Peter 1, 6b-7. to You have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith More precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here we see reason number one. We face various trials as a test of the genuineness of our faith. Have you ever given that any thought before? We often refer to difficult times in our life as trials. And indeed, the Bible calls them trials. But I don't think we often truly think of them as trials of our faith. We don't often think that these trials are testing if our faith is real and secure. Is it genuine faith or merely good thoughts? Look as well at judges 2 twenty one to twenty two this is the Lord speaking. I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not James 112 Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So we see that the Lord, in his sovereignty, sends circumstances to us to see what is in our hearts. See, if we lived in a world where everything were easy, where life was simple, and there was no pain, no suffering, no death. Now, trusting God would be pretty easy. But when trials come, then we see what our faith is made of. How do you tend to respond when you face trials of various kinds? Does your faith hold up? Do you lean on God's promises, and bring him glory as you demonstrate that his love is better than life? Are you like Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 16, singing hymns to God while they were naked and wounded, chained in a prison cell? That sort of trust delights our God, and that's the kind of response which will result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as the verse in 1 Peter says. I want to look at one more passage about the reason for difficulty, and then we'll get back to Psalm 28. 2 Corinthians 1, 8-9. And this is Paul writing here. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Now, I bet Paul could have prayed our passage in Psalm 28 at this time. Paul was going through a terrible trial. He was so troubled, so afflicted, that he despaired of life itself. He felt the sentence of death. But Paul wasn't ignorant to the purpose of his suffering. Paul wasn't bitter or angry towards the Lord. Instead, he knew that this trial had come So that he would rely not on himself, not on human means, but on God who raises the dead. David in Psalm 28 is demonstrating this kind of faith. In his desperation, where does he turn to? To himself? To his own resources? No. He knew he had no other option but the Lord's intervention. So David sought after God and his help. He cried out to God's sanctuary. He pleaded for mercy. His faith has not crumbled under the weight of his trial, but rather his trial brought him to seek after God's help. So this is reason number two why God has us go through desperate times of difficulty. God wants us to learn That we are totally dependent upon him. And in our desperation, in our trials, we are to cry out to God for strength. Point number one, cry out to God in our desperation. And point number two, cry out to God for justice. This point comes from verses three to five. And I want to start by looking at the first half of verse three. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil. Is that a prayer that any of you in this room have ever prayed? Before preparing for this sermon, I'm not sure if I've ever done that. Now, there is not a unanimous opinion among commentators what this verse means. But this is my take on it. David knows that the Lord is just. He knows that God will punish evil. He prays to this end in verse 4, and he declares it in verse 5. So I think in verse 3, when David asks not to be dragged off with the wicked, he is basically saying to God, God, I haven't been like these wicked people. I've been righteous, so don't punish me as such. Now, Jake made it clear in his sermon on Psalm 26 that David was not a sinless man. He was not perfectly righteous. Both the narratives of David's life, as well as his other psalms, make this very clear. However, unlike the wicked men he refers to in this psalm, David didn't love his sin. He didn't have a heart of wickedness. The Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. He loved God, and he desired to obey him. In other words, David had genuine, saving faith. This is what set him apart from the wicked. It was his faith in God. So he asks not to be condemned with the wicked. And in verse 4, he goes on to pray for their punishment. Now, if you've spent some time in the Psalms, you know that this is not a unique request from David. Throughout his Psalms, David is not shy to ask God for his divine judgment to be carried out against his enemies. He's often quite blunt about it, to the point of being somewhat uncomfortable. In this passage, he is not specific in the punishment that he is requesting but he just asks that God give to the wicked according to their evil. If you look again at verse 4, you'll see he uses the words according to three times. And then, to be slightly more redundant, he asks that the Lord would render to them their due reward. In other words, in verse 4, David is asking for his enemies to be punished justly that they get what they deserve. Sometimes these verses can be challenging for us because we don't really like to think about God's judgment very much. But really, this is something that we all want. Everyone desires justice. When you hear the news of people being killed in schools, people being killed in hospitals, Of civilians being captured in war, of criminals without remorse for their deeds, or any other heinous crime. We all want justice. We all want the wicked judged and punished for the evil of their deeds. We all want the Lord to give to them according to the work of their hands, that they receive their due reward. So, likewise, David is pleading with God for justice on evil. He pleads for justice, and in verse 5, he's not just asking, but stating the truth he knows of God, that God will tear them down and build them up no more. The Lord will bring justice. The wicked ones that David speaks of, who speak peace while evil is in their hearts, Those who don't regard the works of the Lord or the works of his hands, these God will indeed tear down. David holds on to this truth he knows of the Lord. When evil surrounds him, he hopes in the character of God. Namely here, he hopes in the character of God's justice. Surely this was a comfort for him. And this can be a comfort for us as well. All of the evil that we see on the news, all of the evil that we see with our own eyes, all of the injustices in the world, these will all one day be judged according to their deeds. The wicked will be punished. The Lord will do it. He will judge the guilty. Read through the entirety of the Old Testament. Well, the whole Bible, for that matter. And you will see that God is incredibly patient, supremely gracious, and relentlessly just. And God's divine justice, it will be carried out in one of two ways. It will either fall upon the wicked, or it will fall upon Christ. Those are the only two options. God's wrath will be carried out upon evil. But for anyone, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, this judgment is redirected. Jesus Christ takes it fully and freely upon himself. There is no debt remaining on the sinner's head. It is paid in full on the cross. The wicked person indeed has been killed, but... A new person takes his place, the new life that Christ has given us. For those who have their faith in Christ, for those who, like David, love God and have their heart of stone replaced with a heart of flesh, we are now counted with the righteous who will not be dragged off with the wicked. But for those who do not call upon the Lord, Justice will be carried out. This is what David cried out for. And this is what we can cry out to the Lord for. God, let your justice come on evil. If you will, let it fall on Christ. Let him absorb the penalty and may restoration take place. But if not, let it fall on evil. That the world may be purified one way or another. So, point one, cry out to God in your desperation. Point number two, cry out to the Lord for justice. And now, my final point for us cry out to the Lord in thanksgiving. In these verses that finish the psalm, the psalm changes mood drastically. It really feels like it should be a whole new psalm because it reads like the fulfillment of the first five verses. David is already praising God for having heard him. Now, was this section written later on, after the prayer was answered, or was he anticipating it being answered? The answer is, I don't know. I don't think we can know. But instead of speculating on this, let's focus just upon the words as they are written. In verse 6, it says that the Lord has heard his cry for mercy. And this, in turn, has resulted in praise to God. David exclaims, Blessed be the Lord! His heart exalts, and in his song, he thanks the Lord. His desperate plea. From earlier in the passage has been replaced with praise. This is the happy ending to prayer when we see the Lord's goodness in His response and respond in praise and joy and thanks to Him. I want to ask Has this been your experience? Have you cried out to God in prayer? And seen your prayers answered? This is a straightforward yes or no question. But I wonder how many of us could answer it that simply. Because we've probably, all of us, have had experiences of God answering our prayers with a no. And that's hard to deal with. I've struggled with that a lot in my life, actually. I've prayed for a life to be saved, and he died. I've prayed for a marriage to be saved, and it ended. I've prayed for chronic pain and illness to be healed, and it hasn't. God not answering our prayers with a yes can be incredibly painful, It can be incredibly confusing. It can cause us to doubt God. It can cause us to doubt that he is good or that he even exists. It can cause us to doubt prayer and give up on it altogether. Because prayer is kind of mysterious. I think that we would all like to find the, the magic formula for prayer. That we could figure it out like a puzzle. That we could crack the code. That we'd know how to to pray and get answers every time. That would be nice, wouldn't it? But I don't think prayer works like that. I don't think prayer works like a computer program. If you put in the right input, then you'll get the output that you're looking for. I don't think prayer is like that. I don't think prayer is like a genie in a bottle ready to give us three wishes. I don't think prayer or answers to prayer are a reward for good behavior. As if we could obey God well enough that he would just be obligated to answer us. The Bible doesn't paint prayer this way. Now, truly, I do think the way we live affects our prayers. If we are living in habitual and unrepentant sin, this may hinder our prayers. And what we ask for, this can affect God's response to our prayers. If I am praying against the will of God with entirely selfish motives, this will likely hinder our prayers. But there's no logarithm for prayer. There is no figuring it out in that sense. So what do we know about prayer from the Bible? Well, a lot of things. But one thing primarily. We pray to a personal God. We pray to a living God. We pray to a God who tells us to call him Father. He is a good Father, Who is infinite in wisdom, infinite in understanding, infinite in his perspective, and infinite in love. When we pray, we pray to that God, and he hears us. Does this mean that he says yes every time? No, I don't think it does. I don't say yes to my son. Every time he asks for something of me. And surely God is far wiser than I am. God will answer our prayers according to what is right. But does this mean we should be half-hearted in our prayers because, well, God's just going to do what's right anyway? Does this mean that we should pray without confidence, without expectation, because we say, Will not my will, but yours be done. We should pray, not my will, but yours be done. But that's not an excuse. Somehow, in God's sovereignty, he works through our prayers. He wants to hear our prayers. He wants us to ask. And as we see in Psalm 28, as well as other psalms, He is glorified in praise through the answering of prayer. And so, this morning, I want to challenge you. Pray expectantly. Pray specifically. Pray in such a way that you will know when God has answered. It can be easy to pray things such as, Lord, Please bless Aunt Sally. Or, God, please give me help at work this week. Now, those aren't necessarily bad prayers, but how will you know when you've received an answer? How can we praise the Lord for his answers to prayer if we don't ask for anything specific? Listen to these words from Charles Spurgeon on this passage. Mere formalists may be content without answers to their prayers, but genuine suppliants cannot. Now, if you don't know the word suppliant, I did not either. I think it's basically somebody who's asking for something strongly. But genuine suppliants cannot. They are not satisfied with the results of prayer itself in calming the mind and subduing the will. They must go further And obtain actual replies from heaven, or they cannot rest. And those replies they long to receive at once, if possible. They dread even a little of God's silence. Now this, I will admit, it's hard to do. This is hard for me to stand up here and preach this, because I've been disappointed in prayer before along with the many answers of yes from the lord i have received many no answers from god as well but as another commentator wrote it would be far better to receive a no answer a thousand times in a row than to continue constantly pray in a nebulous fashion so let's be expectant and specific in our prayers, that it may result in praise and glory to God when they are answered. Last September, I actually started writing down my specific prayer requests so that I could track how the Lord responds. And I even color-coded it. When an answer was answered with a yes, I colored it green. When an answer was an- well, a prayer was answered with a no... I colored it red. Then sometimes I put an orange in there if it was kind of answered. (laughs) This has been very good for me and good for my prayer life. See, first of all, it helps me remember my prayer requests, to continue in them. But it also has shown me the faithfulness in God responding. I will tell you that not everything on my list is green, but most of them are. The Lord has been very kind and gracious to me. He is kind to his people. So let's pray for an answer. As David did, let us pray, God, be not deaf to me. Be not silent. Hear the voice of my cries for mercy. Let us cast our cares before him, for he cares for us. Let us seek his face daily that our will would be aligned with his in our prayers. And when he answers, let us praise him as David did. Tell your family, tell your community groups, tell me. I would love to hear about it. I would love to be encouraged by hearing how God has answered the prayers in your life. Let us rejoice with you for the blessing of answered prayer. Let us bring honor and glory to God for what he has done. Let us not forget our Lord for what he does. How many times have you prayed to God for an answer? Later is answered and you don't even remember that you prayed about it. That probably doesn't give God a whole lot of glory in our hearts. Even this morning, we thank and praise God for what Jake mentioned about the overturning of Roe versus Wade. We thank the Lord that he has heard the countless prayers that have been said on the behalf of the unborn. We praise God for this ruling. We know that the battle is far from over, but our God is faithful. He will have justice, and he will be victorious. Hallelujah. Let us trust the Lord. And when the Lord says no, let us trust the Lord. It's okay to grieve an answer of no from the Lord. It's okay to wonder why. It's okay to search the scriptures to try and understand why God. But we may never know. Are we trusting enough in the Lord's sovereignty? in his sovereign understanding that we can submit to his discretion? Now, like I said before, prayer is mysterious. And there's way too much to say about prayer to cover. But if you struggle with prayer, if you struggle because you've been discouraged by prayer in the past, if you have been hurt by prayer in the past, talk to a spiritual leader. Talk to your community group leader. Talk to a pastor. Let us walk through this with you. We often go through our struggles alone, rustling with our questions on Google and not with the people of God. We seek answers on online forums, but not with the people who we do community with who love us. This is what community is for, to rustle through these things together. This is what the church is for. So let us seek God together in this. If you're not part of a community group, we'd love to have you join one. You can talk to me about information about that. Wrapping things up here. Our big point from this morning is to cry out to God who answers you. Friends, we live in the midst of great evil. There is a lot of trouble in the world, trouble that is over our heads, but God is not shaken by any of it. None of it is outside of his power, so cry out to him in your desperation. Cry out to him for an answer. Pour out your souls to the Lord. Pray for justice. Pray for the wicked to be destroyed in the same way that the Apostle Paul was destroyed. His old self was killed. He was crucified with Christ and he no longer lived. It was Christ who lived in him. Justice was carried out on the Son rather than on Him. In the same way, for all who put their faith in Jesus, God's justice will not fall upon us, but upon His Son. Pray for these things. And finally, when the Lord answers, however He answers, in His eternal wisdom, praise Him. Praise Him, his goodness and his grace. Let's pray. Lord, help us to have faith. Lord, that in whatever circumstance you bring to us in life, I pray that we would go to you, that we would know that our strength is in you, Lord. You are our strength and you are our shield. You will help your children. God, we pray for justice. Lord, for the evil in this world, God, we pray for your justice to come and come soon. But Lord, we pray that your justice would come and many people dying to themselves but living to Christ. Lord, that's what we want to see, all nations and tongues and tribes coming to know you, Lord, as their Savior. Lord, we look forward to the day when Every knee will bow before you. God, we pray that you also help us to pray expectantly, knowing that you will answer us. Lord, may we give you praise and glory for the answers to prayer. Lord, we love you. Please hear us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.